Thanks for joining us on the Renewed Mind Live podcast. I'm Cheryl. And I'm Denise. This is a place for Christian women who are ready to experience the freedom that comes from trusting God with your mind, body, and spirit. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us again. This is a really, really special podcast today because I am interviewing my good friend, um, Denise. And Denise is also the co-host of this podcast. So we're going to get into uh, a little bit of her story and um, the why behind what what you know her reason is for being involved in this project. And um, we will just have a good time getting to know the, the way that the Lord has worked in her life. So to start out, hi, Denise. Hi. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Cheryl? I'm fantastic. The weather is beautiful. I love Arizona in the winter. I do too. It's amazing. Yeah. Did you have a it is. I know you didn't grow up in Arizona, right? No, I didn't. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in a city called Carson, which is in Southern California. Oh, yeah, I know Carson. Is that in um, Orange County? No, it's in uh, L.A. County. L.A. County. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you grew up with, uh, you have a brother. I know that. I haven't met your brother, but I know you have a brother. Is that it? Just the two of you? Yep. Wow. And your brother, he's the baby, right? And you're the oldest? No, he's the oldest. He's two years older than me. Oh, he's the oldest. Okay. Yes, he's the oldest. He is 53. And because I'm 51 now, just had a birthday on Thursday, Thanksgiving. (laughs) Awesome. Okay, so tell me about your childhood. Because, and the reason I asked this question is that for many of us who have struggled with some, some sort of you know, addiction, whether it be shopping or men or alcohol or anything, usually we kind of come back to some sort of lack in our childhood. So can you expand on that? Can you tell me about your childhood? So my childhood, well, neither of my parents are alcoholics or addicts. And I can't really say whether or not their parents were alcoholics or addicts. I know that my grandmother on my mom's side, she did drink, and I would say that very often she had a drink in hand, and I don't know if it was a problem or not. I mean, really, that would be for her to say, and she passed when I was very young. So I know that my uncle growing up was in prison, and we would go and visit him. There was a lot of dysfunction. I can definitely say that. So, you know, and I think a lot of things were swept under the rug. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, sometimes shame in, you know, the recovery aspect of it when really like the shame should be happening way before that because of, well, I can get into that in later episodes and I will, but like the marketing of alcohol and just how like we're all supposed to just embrace this, this lifestyle. And, um, but the minute people become dependent on it and seek help for it, then it becomes shameful. So anyway, I digress. So with all of that being said, 
what were you taught about alcohol? Like, did your parents specifically say, Hey, there's like this thing running in our family and we feel that you should know about it. Or was it just Um, not? No, alcohol was, was not talked about in a bad way or anything. There was alcohol in the home. My parents, um, drank not to excess or anything. My parents were very young when they had my brother and I. Um, In fact, they had both of us by the time they were 21 or early 22. So, um, so, I mean, they still had parties and whatnot when we were kids and they drank, they had a full bar in the house. Um, And so alcohol was easily accessible to us. Um, And being that I was raised, um, you know, raised in the Jewish faith, um, that was, you know, and, and well, I'm sure we'll get more into that, that alcohol, wine, you know, um, ceremonial wine was is part of uh, my story. Um, and so, yeah, alcohol was readily available. And I don't want to say encouraged, but not discouraged by all means. Okay. So then that leads me to my next question. How old were you when you had your first drink? I do remember remember? uh, my first drink that I took on my own, I would say, was probably around five years old. Wow. (laughs) It was. Was Some of that Menashevitz or Mogan David. Yeah. So do you like, do you remember having a feeling like what did that? I do. I do remember that warmth of the, of the thickly sweet wine going into my belly and feeling that warmth. Um, And, and the thing about that is I, I do not like wine. So I I wouldn't say, you know, because I hear, um, I hear women or, or people say like, Oh, um, you know, I'm an alcoholic or I was an alcoholic and wine was my alcohol of choice. Wine was not my alcohol of choice. Although, yes, um, in my childhood drinking, I drank a lot of the sickly sweet Manischewitz or Mogan David wine. Um, and yeah, that warmth in my belly um, and that feeling of it going down is definitely part of my first memories. So then after that, like growing up, you had that kind of ceremonial wine experience. Um, your parents weren't like heavy, heavy drinkers other than just like, you know, periodic use. So when did you first realize that you really liked alcohol and you know when did it in other words become some sort of a problem for you well i just continued drinking it my brother was drinking too we drank pretty much everything they had in the bar we would drink and then fill it up with water um to to show you (laughs) so they wouldn't notice they notice um my parents would go out of town and and so you know we didn't want them to notice so we would drink some and then put you know, put water in it or whatever, or we would drink it all and then replace the bottles. Um, and it's so they wouldn't notice. And so we would drink whatever we could, whatever we could get, um, or whatever we could either buy or, or steal back then. It was easy to steal small pints of things so things that were out and easily to get were things like schnapps or um, small bottles of things so that was the kind of stuff that we drank back then so you would steal it from what from the alcohol store i mean from the uh, yes from the store? store the grocery store 
Um, wow. My brother did too. My brother right. did too. So, yeah. So, like, I mean, I know for myself in the high school and college years, I was having fun. You know, I can't say that I was like, oh, you know, this is a problem. I was having a good time and I was doing what I felt was, um, you know, age appropriate. Like all my friends were doing the same thing. And so it didn't, it didn't go like, there were no bells that went off in my mind. Like, Hey, this is too much. So until my later adult life. So when in your life, did you feel like this has gone beyond normal, whatever that is and become uncomfortable? One would think that having alcohol poisoning at 15 and ending up in the hospital, one would think that I would think there was a problem or my parents would think there was a problem, but I didn't. And for some reason they didn't. And I had a lot of resentment over that for a while. And I had to get past that. I also. Time out. Time out. I never heard this story and I've known you a long time, but 15 years old and you had alcohol poisoning. Correct. And you were hospitalized. And the reaction from your parents was. And you know, I got in trouble. You what? I mean, like, okay, so you're grounded for a week. There was no like, hey, this is serious. We should probably talk to the yeah, just the rabbi or whatever. Just grounded in trouble, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I wasn't. So that didn't stop you then at that point either. You just went home and continued with your lifestyle that's the thing and like i said i I had a lot of resentment at first although in talking to some of my mentors who helped me in my early sobriety really brought that to me in a way that said would that have stopped you do you think that would have stopped you and looking back i i said no probably Mm. not you know probably not yeah that's a really good question otherwise you know, God probably would have intervened then, you know? And so, uh, and because I was really upset when, when, uh, when I first got sober, I looked at things like that and said, why didn't they, what was wrong with them? How could they? And, and I really, it was hard. It was hard. And it, it made me carry a lot of hate and anger towards my parents. When I first got sober, how dare they, why didn't they? And, um, that's where, you know, a lot of my love for a good friend of mine, Leslie, you know, I came to her and just those were the things I said to her. And she just looked me right in the eye and said, would, you know, would that have made you stop? And I said, you know, I don't know. Probably not. And so it is. It's very yeah, powerful. That's powerful. And um, and it, it just really takes that weight off my parents, too, you know, and made me realize, you know. How could I hate them yep. for something that, you know, they didn't do? Um, and, and, right. and, and, and also didn't know, I'm sure they didn't know what to do, you know? Um, mm-hmm. so, so that was 15. That's a pretty major uh, episode. Then like, take me through So you must've been um, what a sophomore in high school. 
uh, sophomore around there. Yeah, probably sophomore, um, sophomore. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I graduated high school at 17, went to college at 17. Um, so there I was at San Diego State at 17, very young. Yes. Holy crap. Our lives are like parallel, you know, because I graduated when I was 17 and started college when I was no, 17. Not at all. And I don't recommend it. That's very young to be leaving the comfort of your home and the safety of your home and going into this place where there are literally no rules. You can do whatever you want. So high school, leading into college, tell me about college. What was your experience? With it only got worse. Partying scene? It absolutely only got worse. There I was, um, 17 years old, living in the dorms, going out to frat parties, um, blacking out. Um, you know, did anything really bad ever happen that, that you I, can recall? I can recall and horrible things that I can't recall, <laughs> you know, um, well, that I'm sure others can recall and I'm sure, um, it's just horrible things that I can't recall that I know happened, you know, then that probably makes sense to a lot of women out there. Oh, you froze. I cannot. I can hear you. Hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hello. Okay, so you're going to notice a little weird break in the podcast. And once again, we're under attack. I mean, the enemy really does not want us to tell our stories. And um, while I was in the middle of you know, well, actually, Denise was in the middle of answering a question. Uh, she lost internet. And for no apparent reason, because the other, you know, other places in the house still had internet. And then when she tried to call me back, the call never went through. I have no missed calls, yet she called me twice. And there's no call showing up. So we're not going to let the enemy win. Uh, we're going to continue this interview and pick up, uh, try to pick up where we left off. And, and you were talking about, I had asked you about college and if there were any um, experiences there that were kind of scary. I can't remember exactly how I phrased it, but you said, yeah, there were a lot of things that I can remember that were bad and a lot, a lot of things I can't remember. So is there anything more that you wanted to add to that? Um. No, just that alcohol is definitely a part of my story there, that things were definitely out of control, but I still didn't think I had a problem is the scary part about that. I just thought that partying was okay. Partying to that extreme was okay. No one even thought that it was a problem, at least, um, you know, and I, I just didn't think it was a problem, even the fact that I was failing out of school. Um, you know, the solution to my problem was um, I joined the Army. I think you know that part of my story. Did you um, graduate from college or no, when you joined the Army? No, I had not graduated yet. That was just my solution for, uh, I guess you would call that my first geographical mm -hmm. Um was or, or you know, which is just trying to outrun the problem. Uh, but although I didn't think it was a problem, I just thought that. So I guess there was a problem, but I didn't think it was alcohol and drugs. I just thought the problem was, I just wasn't ready for college. I was failing out of school, 
I just thought that just this wasn't for me. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't good enough to, to be there. I wasn't smart enough to be there. I just needed to do something else with my life. Um, so the solution was just go into the, go into the army. So um, I, that's what I did. And uh, okay. went away to um, South Carolina for basic training, went into, to, into North Carolina for my, um, my advanced training. And so I, I, I was in the reserves went back to California and, um, and then, uh, then it, it kind of gets a little blurry from there. Really. Um, it's just a, a bunch of, just a bunch of marriages and moves and marriages and really just a life of insanity from that point on moving to, um, Arizona, from California to Arizona to Nevada, back to Arizona, but still not really facing the fact that I had a problem. How long were you in the Army? So I did um, from 91 until 98. So you did um, two terms, whatever they call it? Well, so I was in the active reserves the entire time. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So let's say after, I mean, while you were in the active reserves, were you working at another job? So I, I started working full time in, I got into the auto finance business in 1990, probably around 1994, 94, 95, around 1994, 95, I started working in the auto finance industry and that didn't help the situation because working anything in auto finance or anything in the auto industry, auto sales, auto finance, anything like that, there's, well, and I had an expense account and my job was to go around and basically uh, buy paper from car dealerships, um, work with auto finance people at car dealerships and and take them out and and basically get the get the the paper from them. I don't know if how to explain that any better. I was buying buying loans from the dealerships for for the um, I was representing the loan company, and so mm -hmm. on that end of it. And so um, with really high interest rates. Mm -hmm. Higher so the money was really good. The money was really good. And there's no usury laws in Arizona. So, I mean, to give someone a loan at 28, 30% interest. Wow. You <laughs> kind of, um, I look back on that now and I'm like, well, I, I couldn't even think about giving anyone a loan at that interest rate. Um, morally no and these were people that's, who that's insane even, yeah 
These that is can- how people get trapped in these, you know, financial situations because they take these bad loans and then you're never going to get out. You're never going to pay it off. And then you end up, you know, in a really bad financial situation, possibly bankruptcy. And, you know, that's, that's really sad. So during this time, how, like, you know, I, I understand that because when you hear part of my story, sales, those, those type of jobs, they really encourage you to go out and schmooze the client, right? So you end up um, taking people out, plying them with drinks to get them to buy whatever it is you're selling. And it kind of leads into that lifestyle. So when did you start to think that this was beyond your control? I still didn't think that. I honestly did not think I had a problem because I never lost anything. I looked at even losing a husband. I thought that they had the problem, not me. I never lost a house, a car, a job. I I never had a criminal record. Um, So I liked to drink. I liked to party. I had no legal consequences. Mm -hmm. So it was really, really hard for me to see that I had a role in any of that. I never, it was hard for me to see that, that anything was wrong. I think that's what keeps so many of us going on that road for so long, because we, we look at like, oh, like I haven't lost this or that. So I must be fine. Meanwhile, I look like crap. My health sucks. You know, like all of these other things are happening. We feel emotionally bankrupt, but I haven't lost a job. So I'm good. And we can get deluded by thinking that we're fine when really we're not fine. We're not fine. And we'll get into um, some more of the faith aspect of it in a little bit. When did you start relying on Jesus then to, to solve your problems? Cause I know you talked about, you know, moving didn't solve the problem. Getting married didn't solve the problem. Drinking more didn't solve the problem. When did you finally go? Oh, Jesus, that's who I need. Absolutely. That's that. I'm glad. So what did happen is so I, I, I love, I've always had a, a love for, for learning, um, I know we, so we skipped a few steps. So me dropping out of college, I ended up going back to school, getting a, a bachelor's degree, getting a master's degree. And then when I went back for my second master's degree, um, which was in a mental health counseling, I needed to uh, then at the end of that degree, get, get, uh, do an internship. And the only place, and this is where then God comes in and then Jesus. So, uh, God, uh, so my internship, the only place that I could get an internship while working full time was at a, a rehab center. Right. And, uh, and then I'm like, oh, okay, great. So I'm going to work all day as a teacher and then go and work at this drug and alcohol rehab. And so that's what I did. And I would go there and then come home at night and and drink and say to myself, what is wrong with these people? I mean, come on, they've lost everything. And, you know, it just does. It didn't make sense to me. I'm, I, and I would sit there with bottle in hand and say to myself, you know, how could they have not just stopped drinking? They lost their kids. They lost their license. They lost their house. And they just kept drinking. What is wrong with these people? <laughs> with a drink in hand. 
And again, not thinking that I had a problem because the irony in that, right? Right. Like, exactly. True irony. And, and, but again, it, it just made it even harder to quit because I had pure evidence at this point in my mind that I had no problem, right? Because I'm working face to face with people who really had lost it all. And I'm sitting there in my home that as a single mother at that time, single mother of two children who had done it all, master's degrees. And, you know, here I was, I had this house that I had gotten because I had served our country. Right. So I was capable of getting this house on my own, you know, and it was like, I am so amazing. Right. Not, not giving any of the credit to the Lord because I didn't know the Lord then, but I, right. With my ego, which I look at ego now is edging God out. Mm-hmm. I, with my ego and on this pedestal had done it all. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting there with drink in hand, just saying, Hey, look at these poor, hopeless people. Meanwhile, I am just 85 pounds <laughs> looking horrible. And I would pride myself how I never got a hangover ever. And I recognize now I never got a hangover because I was always drunk. <laughs> right. Right. If you never give your body that chance to like get the alcohol moving out of your system, it's always there. Your body's used to it. Right. I don't think my, my, yeah, my level never dropped low enough to even have a hangover. I don't know how I never lost my job, which I've had for 18 years now. Um, other than by the grace of God, I give so much glory uh, to God. You know, I would just, yeah. it's only by the grace of God that I'm sober today. And it is a miracle that I am sober, a miracle that I'm alive. You know, just a miracle that I have an 18 year job, a miracle that I have my children, a miracle that I have a man in my life who just loves and adores me. Right. But it took me working this internship being surrounded by a group of people there who loved Jesus, who only listened to worship music, who just loved, just, yeah, who loved Jesus, who loved the Lord, who just weren't necessarily pouring into me, but were pouring into everyone that made me realize something's going on here. And one night I came home from the internship And I just said to the Lord, or actually it was just God, because that's all I knew at the time. I just looked up to the sky because what they had said in, in the program where I was working my internship is that when you are an alcoholic or an addict, that it gets to a point that you just, a switch flips and there's no going back. Once the switch is flipped is what they said. So I went and I looked up to the sky and I said, God, if I am an alcoholic, you know what? Just flip my switch. (laughs) And I laughed. And the next time I picked up a drink, um, I drank and I drank and I drank and I just couldn't get, I get nothing happened. And I was like, well, that's just really weird. 
And um, like when I say nothing happened, it's like I couldn't I couldn't get drunk. I couldn't feel like it was the weirdest thing. And it's like every time I would go to drink, it's like I couldn't. It just wasn't fun. It wasn't not fun. It was just like, okay. So I just became obsessed with wanting to do other things, you know, drugs and stuff. And, and so it wasn't good. And so the night that I was going to do other things, um, that's when I truly believe that God spoke to me and said, if you do this, you will die. Wow. So the alcohol wasn't doing it for you because, you know, we will get more into the the neurology, the the brain science behind addiction. But when our drug of choice doesn't work anymore, our brain still needs that high. So you were looking for that high mm-hmm. other places with other substances. Yep. So I what, tell me about that, that night where you were going with that. Yeah, I was, I was going to do other things and uh, God spoke to me, said, no, you will die. And I, I, so I didn't. And clearly I lived. And that was, that was my last night. That was, uh, you know, June 2nd, 2012. And, uh, that, that was it. I, I never drank again. So that's, uh, that's my sobriety date, which is is almost exactly, you know, it's 10 years and, and, uh, 10 years and almost six months. Wow. That's amazing. That is truly a blessing. And, um, I know that we are going to be talking more about different programs and things like that, but, um, you with 10 years, majority of that time you were, um, involved in AA, right? Yes. So the AA program, um, going through that. And then I guess what I'm trying to say is like the biggest, blessing of an alcohol-free lifestyle what what has that been for you i would say the biggest blessing of an alcohol-free lifestyle for me has been um i would say having choices having choices um in my life being able to have that freedom to choose what I'm going to do. Well, I think, I mean, with the choices, when you were talking about that is what came to my mind was that, yeah, when you are drinking, thinking about drinking or recovering from drinking, you are limited into all the other activities in your life right? Because you're drinking, well, I can't drive. I can't go to, you know, my kid's game. Um, or I, I don't want to go to that, you know, work function because there's not going to be any alcohol there. Or, you know, I can't, uh, I can't go visit a friend because I need to be back home so I can start drinking. You know, all of these things that limit our freedom, our choices. So I think that is, that is a huge blessing to be able to say, I will do this and I won't do that. And, you know, that's completely up to me and it's not alcohol making the choices. Yeah. So what advice would you give to the woman listening right now who is desperate for a change? Don't give up. Mm, Good. Don't give up because it can happen 
You don't have to. I know that I didn't try before. I know that there are women who try and don't succeed the first time. I have so far succeeded since my first time. But I have worked with a lot of women who did not succeed their first time. I'm raising time. my hand right now and because I, that's me. <laughs> I think those women are some of the most amazing women that I know because I don't know if I could come back, if I would have come back, if I didn't make it like in the very beginning. And um, I just think that it's like, if you're so desperate for, if you're desperate for a change, like it just like, yeah, just go for it, I guess. Like, and, and yeah, I mean, I like that. Don't give up. Don't yeah. give up. Don't give up Hang in there. And yeah. you know, for me, like when you talk about that, it just amazes me that you made a decision and that was your date and that was it. It's it's, and we'll get more into this later, but it's called spontaneous sobriety, which happens, you know, for some people. And I was always very jealous of those people when I would go to meetings. I'm like, you know, I came to my first meeting 25 years ago and I haven't touched a drop. And I'm like, how did you do that? Like that isn't even part of my reality. I, you know, did not go in the first time and like stop, but um, some people have. So, yeah, I, I just say that to encourage people also like, yeah, don't don't give up because, you know, there may be other things that you needed to learn. And regardless of how many times it takes, how many tries you make, who still loves you? God, our father. And God, our father doesn't quit loving us just because we slipped up, you know, just because we made a mistake or we didn't do what we said we were going to do. He loves us regardless. So put that out of, you know, your mind is, you know, the fact that God's love is conditional. And if you don't do this the right way or do it at all, that he's not going to love you. That's just not true. That is just not true. So we're going to get more into that in future podcasts. But um, we just want, I love that advice. I, I want to just emphasize that too. Just don't give up. So next question, what is your favorite Bible verse and why do you love it? My favorite Bible verse has always been, and this is even before I became a Christian or a follower of Christ, is Numbers 6, 24 through, uh, 24 through 26. And it's, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Mm. I love that. I love those verses. That was something that in the church that I grew up in, um, that I used to go to with my parents, that's how they always ended the sermon. Our our pastor would always say that. And it just, yeah, that is a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Cool. And I don't, I don't know why. I just know that. And and I like, I, I wish I knew why. I mean, I know why. Like it just, it has something from my childhood. It brings something to me. Mm-hmm. If that makes yeah. sense. I don't know where in my childhood, like it's something from my childhood mm-hmm. that it brings up like this great warm feeling inside of me. And I know it's in the Old Testament. So it's something from my childhood. So I do 
want to go back and try to find out like where I have some of, um, you know, like uh, some of the prayer books and stuff that we used in the synagogue. And I want to see like if it's in like something in our Shabbat services somewhere Mm -hmm. that maybe on Friday night, like there was something in the Shabbat service or something where where it was used or something, because for some reason, it's just, it brings this warm, loving feeling into my heart mm-hmm. every time. I get yeah. So I don't know if it was part of the service. I don't know if it was something my, my Saba and Safta, my grandma and grandpa in Israel said to me, saying to me something, mm-hmm. but it just warms my heart. So, amazing like it just fills me with joy every time i read it yeah i think my favorite line from those verses is the lord make his face shine upon you i just love that because i see this this image in my mind of this loving father just smiling Mm -hmm. at me and yeah it's very warm how about your favorite movie my favorite movie that was the top one and you know i wish we had more time and maybe we will in the future because i was thinking of a movie that i watched over and over and over and then when i looked it up to see something it was it was really interesting we'll talk about that later um i know so why did i bring it up because i want to talk about that later so just remind me to talk about no i want to talk about how movies that we can watch as teenagers can really affect the way that we look at ourselves and how it can affect what we ended up. So are you thinking a future podcast topic? Nice. Yes, definitely. How movies can affect things, decisions that we make. Yeah. Put that on our, our list. That's a good one. Definitely. Yeah. So I didn't choose that one because we can't get into that. All right. Well, we can talk about that later. So, yeah, definitely. So I did end up choosing um, A Star is Born. You know, that movie has been remade four times. Really? So are you thinking the favorite is the, uh, what was the original? Is that the Barbra Streisand? What? No, oh, wait, no. wait. The original is in 1937, right. Gaynor and March. And then it was remade in 51 with some TV version. Then 54 with Judy Garland and James Mason. 76 with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. And then in 2018 with Lady Gaga and, and uh, Bradley Oh, Cooper. my gosh. Okay. I didn't know it had been remade that many times. I knew, yeah, now that you mentioned it, that it, it was, it was, uh, what was their first one? 20... 20- 1937. Yeah. Wow. It's a good story. It's a good story. I like the Lady Gaga version. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Loosely based upon my life. <laughs> but, you know, we won't get into that. <laughs> awesome. How about your favorite song? My favorite song is um, so that one. I want to pull up the lyrics here. It's "Greater" by Mercy mm-hmm. Me. And so. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Greater by Mercy Me. I cannot recall um, it off the top of my head. What are some of the lyrics? So the first stanza, bring your tired and bring your shame, bring your guilt and bring your pain. Don't you know that's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Okay. Yeah. Now I know. Greater is the one. Um, Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. And then because I hear a voice and he calls me Mm -hmm. redeemed. When others say I'll never be enough, 
and greater is the one living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Yeah. Right. And so um, I just, I really, I just love that. That's song. a great song. Um, I love Mercy Me. Like pretty yeah, much anything by Mercy Me, I love. Yeah. How about your, oh, um, sorry, go ahead. It's just, there'll be days I lose the battle. Grace says that it doesn't matter because the cross had already won the war. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's how I feel. Is there's just, um, or like this, every time I fall, there'll be those who will call me a mistake. Well, that's okay. You know, and some days I just, you know, people aren't nice to me. You know, some days I'm not nice to myself. You know, but the 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 point is, is that it's like, it's like I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm redeemed, you know, Um yeah, believe that. And believe that. That is those are truths from the word of God. We can a lot of times find ourselves believing the lies that other people tell us or the lies that right. we tell ourselves. Yeah. And the truth is we are righteous, we are redeemed, we are chosen. So beautiful. Right. I love it. How about your favorite book? And so yeah. The Bible. Ah, nice. I know. I was like thinking all kinds of stuff. And then I was like, what the heck? No, I like reading Frankenstein. I really do. But then I started thinking, why? And I'm like, well, because it's got all of these, you know, literal, you know, like biblical illusions. Well, I like this story. Well, it has all these biblical illusions. I'm like, why do I like all these? Because the biblical illusions. Well, duh. Maybe because I like the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, why don't I just go with the Bible? Yeah, seriously. Well, we can't we can't compete with that book. <laughs> Nothing compares. Yeah. Okay, so final question, and this is we have to throw this in because we are, you know, literary experts, right? English teachers. So yeah, literary literary so, genius. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> we are lit preacher experts um yeah finish this analogy yeah. this one's gonna okay blow you away yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, here's an analogy and you just fill in the blanks if alcohol were yeah, an animal you. it would be a blank koala a koala because blank yeah. Because it is a cuddly, cute animal that is absolutely vicious and will kill you. Oh, I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, stay away from the koalas and the alcohol. All right. Thank you so, so you much. It? Do you want to add Does anything else before we say goodbye to our listeners? Um, no, I mean, I just think that you ladies are awesome. And I hope that... Um, you know, that you just keep listening and that we just, we keep you entertained, but yet give you some facts and help you along the way. And, you know, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot us an email at renewedmindlife at gmail.com. Perfect. Thank you. Is that yeah, right? We are definitely email us if, if there's any questions that you have or anything that we can help with. Um, we're definitely here for you. And we have some other things in the works that are that we are going to be releasing soon that will support um, women who are looking for change. So, you know, just keep that 
on your radar. And God bless all of you. Thank you so much for listening. And may God make his face shine upon you. We love you. Bye. Yes. Bye. Thank you.